Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Colonel Ben Ogden, Space Operations and Education Officer from the Center for Strategic Leadership at the U.S. Army War College. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Since the beginning of time, humans have peered into the cosmos with wonder and amazement, hoping to one day understand what lies beyond our reach and the vast emptiness of space. On October 4th, 1957, the Soviet Union broke that seemingly impenetrable barrier by successfully placing the first artificial satellite called Sputnik 1 into orbit. This achievement generated vast amounts of scientific possibilities, along with equal amounts of national security concerns and opportunities. The space race that followed between the United States and Soviet Union would not only become one of the defining moments of the 20th century, but also a critical front in the Cold War. When the Soviet Union fell in 1991, however, it was not only changed the post-World War II global order, but it also created an opportunity for other nations and non-state actors to take their own giant leap towards achieving a variety of interests in space. Since that time, the space domain has rapidly transitioned from an exclusive arena for competing superpowers to a democratized and economic thoroughfare for over 80 nations and hundreds of commercial companies, many of them providing critical services that fuel the U.S. economy and enhance wartime precision. As space continues its evolution into a thriving economic domain and irreplaceable enabler of joint military operations, Nations like China and Russia have aggressively implemented strategies to contest U.S. space superiority and leadership through a variety of novel and even irresponsible methods. Our distinguished guest today, General James Dickinson, is the commander of U.S. Space Command, which is responsible for deterring aggression, defending national interests, and, if necessary, defeating threats in space. He joins us on a better piece to discuss the state of national security space, the role of U.S. Space Command, and the challenges facing the U.S. in maintaining its position of advantage. General James Dickinson is the commander of U.S. Space Command, the 11th and newest Unified Combatant Command. He assumed command on August 20th, 2020, after serving as the first deputy commander of U.S. Space Command. General Dickinson received his commission into the United States Army from Colorado State University. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Mechanical Engineering and a Master's of Science in Operations Research and Systems Analysis from the Colorado School of Mines. He also holds a Master of Strategic Studies from the Army War College. General Dickinson has commanded at every level in the Army and has deployed multiple times in support of Operation Southern Watch, Enduring Freedom, and Iraqi Freedom. He is also the Senior Air and Missile Defense Officer in the Department of Defense. General Dickinson, welcome to A Better Peace, and welcome back virtually to the Army War College. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me today. I'd like to open by talking about the value of space itself, because many Americans may not recognize its important role in national security or its role in their daily lives, beyond being the backdrop to a futuristic sci-fi movie. You've instituted a great campaign to inform the American people about the vital nature of space through the slogan, There is never a day without space. 
What is the strategic value of space to the United States today, and what's at risk if there is a day without space? Space power enables our way of life and is a critical, critical component of our national security. The U.S. government is committed to retaining America's primacy in space. We must maintain our advantage and ensure the space domain remains sustainable, safe, stable, and secure. And of course, space enables us to connect with one another over vast distances, and its importance in advancing science and technology cannot be understated. Many of you know that space is an engine for a major portion of the U.S. and, quite frankly, the global economy. Space has become its own element of national power, a vital interest integral to the American way of life and to our national security and defense. Tactically, virtually every joint operation leverages space-based capabilities. The use of space assets increases the effectiveness of our combat forces. They can communicate, navigate, target, find, fix, and finish the enemy, anticipate weather and its impacts on operations, and protect our forces based on information made available from the space domain. So, sir, the the United States, I, I want to turn a little bit to the strategic environment, um, kind of what you just laid out, you, you touched upon there. Um, the strategic environment, the United States ended a very heated space race with the Soviet Union in 1969 uh, when we landed on the moon. Since then, many of the most visible space events have revolved around what some would call more, more peaceful endeavors like uh, the space shuttle program, the International Space Station, space tourism, uh, most recently the Artemis program. These major efforts may lead some people to believe that the space environment is mostly stable and even cooperative, yet your command's mission would indicate otherwise. So how would you describe the strategic space landscape and what are some of the major differences between it and the other domains of warfare in your view? The space domain is really unlike any other domains. Its characteristics and features bring unique challenges to projecting space power into key terrain and achieving strategic objectives. However, like the air, land, and maritime domains, space is a domain within which military, civil, and commercial activities are conducted every day. Our strategic competitors view space as a warfighting domain, and I think that's critical. Our adversaries will likely seek to attack and degrade our space capabilities to limit U.S. power projection. Today, they are more reliant on space capabilities for their own military operations, command and control, and their power projection. Space superiority requires coordinated offensive and defensive operations. The ability to operate without prohibitive interference is associated with defensive operations. The ability to deny an opponent's freedom of action is often associated with offensive operations. Importantly, offensive and defensive operations are conducted across all three segments of the space architecture, the ground infrastructure, the link so the link from the ground to the satellite, and then the space piece, which is the satellite piece. Another critical requirement to maintaining space superiority is U.S. Space Command's joint, allied, and partnered approach to space operations. So my vision remains unchanged over three years. We outthink and we outmaneuver our competitors to deter conflict in space, and if necessary, dominate in any domain through comprehensive 
space power. Well, that's a that's a great description of the uh, space superiority pursuit, sir. And you know, when you when you mentioned the adversary and the competitors, one thing that came to mind was China. Of course, here at the War College, we really uh, are starting to dissect what that competition looks like. And I want to turn just for a minute to to space um, and what China is doing there. Our most recent strategic guidance, like the National Defense Strategy, many of our, our leaders identify the People's Republic of China as the pacing threat for the United States. In space, however, the primary competitor to the U.S. historically has been Russia because of their longstanding space capabilities, historical ties to the Cold War uh, and the space race that went on there. What can you tell us about China's strategic approach and ongoing activity in the space domain that makes them perhaps more concerning as a strategic competitor and threat to overall U.S. space superiority that you just mentioned? Well, the Chinese Communist Party knows we rely heavily on the space domain to project and employ our instruments of national power. And they are committed to denying us access to the domain and negate the advantages the joint force gains from space-based capabilities. The CCP is deploying satellite attack capabilities supported by an array of sensors to characterize and target U.S. and allied space systems. Multiple attack options, cyber, electronic, or directed energy weapons, anti-satellite missiles, and space-based weapons will enable them to achieve a range of damaging effects. On orbit, China possesses the SJ-21, Space Debris Mitigation Satellite, which docked with a defunct Beidou satellite and moved it to a graveyard orbit 300 kilometers above GEO. The SJ-21 returned to GEO and continued its operations all within a week. The primary concern here is what we call dual-use capability. In general, they view space as a tool with which to hold the joint force at risk earlier in a crisis at greater depth and with greater precision. So, sir, we can't talk about the space enterprise today without recognizing the rapid growth and innovation of the U.S. commercial space sector. Seemingly every week, companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin are making headlines by implementing new technology or concepts that revolutionize how we use the space domain. Most recently, we witnessed Elon Musk and SpaceX's involvement in providing and then regulating Ukrainian access to the Starlink network during the ongoing conflict with Russia. What is Space Command's relationship with the commercial space sector, and how is that impacting national security space operations? Commercial partnerships are at the forefront of our minds at U.S. Space Command's J-8's Commercial Integration Branch, who is responsible for engaging with industry implementing U.S. Space Command's commercial integration strategy and facilitating integration of commercial capabilities into ongoing operations to enable our objectives here at U.S. Space Command. The space domain offers unique opportunities over other domains with respect to commercial. Commercial carries different weights and importance depending on the domain and its applications. With that said, we as a command are tackling commercial integration along three main fronts. We are partnering with commercial to provide complementary services for data, bandwidth, imagery without owning that capability or platform, which saves us considerable time and resources. Commercial services like, but not limited to, SpaceX, SpaceX's Starlink and Amazon Project Kuiper 
can increase our global SATCOM capability, capacity, and coverage. So in sum, commercial provides us with increased options, and those options are actually available in many cases today. Commercial integration goes beyond material solutions. That's why we have cells established specifically for enhancing collaboration with commercial to establish enduring partnerships. CIF-6, Command Integration Cell, and JTFSD's JCO are our primary vehicles for this. Like most other combatant commands, Space Command has been assigned an area of responsibility in which to conduct its operations. That area begins at 100 kilometers above the Earth and extends outward into the depths of space, somewhat making Indo-PACOM look very small, I would imagine. Clearly, Space Command has the immediate focus to secure space operations in established orbits around Earth, like LEO, low Earth orbit, and out to GEO, geostationary orbit. But NASA's Artemis program and several private and international companies have already put in plans to conduct operations in the zone extending from the Earth to the Moon, commonly called cislunar space. I'd like to know, what is Space Command's role in cislunar operations, and how are you preparing to expand your operations to secure U.S. interest in this region? Cislunar space is tremendously promising to advance science, technology, and human spaceflight to the moon. NASA believes that in the next 10 years, we will exceed all previous human activity since the dawn of the space age, with multiple nations sending missions to the moon. We are closely tracking the developments in cislunar space and that we prepare to ensure responsible, peaceful, and sustainable access for, for exploration and development in that portion of the domain as well. Cislunar space is critical for long-term U.S. prosperity and security. Where human activity goes, conflict will inevitably follow. U.S. Space Command will ensure we are prepared to deter and, if needed, resolve conflict that extends beyond the current orbits out to cislunar space. Sir, I want to get your thoughts about the future of space activity, technology, and security for a moment. Like most other sectors of society, advancements in technology are priming a revolutionary change in the way we operate in space. Capabilities such as reusable rockets, 3D printing, in-space servicing and debris removal, satellite mega constellations, and artificial intelligence are just a few examples of game-changing technology being implemented. What do you view as the most significant emerging technology that will revolutionize how we secure the space environment in the future? Well, integrating joint and interagency multi-mission sensors plus non-traditional commercial capabilities into an integrated sensor network is one of my main priorities in terms of enhancing my ability to do space domain awareness, or in other words, being able to better characterize activities in space. First, we are integrating space and missile defense multi-mission sensors into one architecture. Secondly, we are integrating non-standard commercial sensors into one network. This battle management system will link operational and tactical level planners, allowing them to choose the right platform to deliver the right effects at the right time, more commonly known as a sensor to shooter or sensor to decision maker. I'm also championing the creation of an integrated sensor network for several reasons. We are doing this to optimize the kill web where networked sensors postured around the globe and on orbit, identify targets, retain custody, and pass data through an integrated command and control system. This will enable on-time target engagement by the best suited weapon system. 
We are doing this to provide operators with relevant data to inform tactical decisions at the speed of combat. And what I just mentioned here is not inventions away from what we can be able to do today. Uh, this doesn't require significant, some significant amount of money. These are technologies that exist today. And in many cases, they are software spirals or software developments away from being reality. So making the best use of the resources and the assets that we have today is one of the main priorities within the command. So I do have to say, in August, Spacecom turns four years old, and followed by the Space Force, which will have its fourth birthday in December. Strategic organizations this young generally face similar startup challenges, things like establishing strategic priorities, developing organizational culture, structuring your force, building partner capacity, etc. However, these rudimentary tasks become more complicated and redundancies may occur when both organizations uniquely focus on the same domain of operations and area of responsibility like you do. How has the unity of effort been between U.S. Space Command and the U.S. Space Force in accomplishing your roles and responsibilities? Well, while the U.S. Space Force is by far the largest force provider to U.S. Space Command, the command is comprised of members from all the services, as well as exchange and liaison officers from our key allies. Our five service components, U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command, Navy Space, Marine Forces Space, Air Forces Space, and Space Operations Command each present their own service capabilities, which we integrate into our Joint Combatant Command. As an example, Air Forces Space, or maybe more commonly known as First Air Force, leads our human spaceflight support mission, integrating assets including Navy surface ships and helicopters to secure the safe recovery of NASA astronauts and Orion capsules. This includes Artemis, commercial crew, Soyuz return, and port relocation through our aft space component. We also support contingency missions like emergencies on the International Space Station, orbital breakup in conjunctions and commercial space flight participants through our 18th Space Defense Squadron. U.S. Space Command and the Space Force fully understand our respective rules as outlined in the Goldwater-Nichols Act and in the numerous national-level directives and guidance provided to us. We are dedicated at U.S. Space Command for the seamless execution of those rules. The Chief of Space Operations, General Chance Saltzman, and I collaborate, as you would expect, closely and effectively in ensuring our collective ability to provide the National Command Authority with options for ensuring access to the capabilities offered by the space domain. For example, we have the Antares Talks, which was held last August, serves as a forum for U.S. Space Command and U.S. Space Force to collaborate on key focus areas such as advancing the space domain awareness architecture, increasing international partnerships, and defining requirements that ensure U.S. Space Command can deliver space effects to the warfighters and to protect the space domain. So, sir, I'd like to get some of your thoughts on your personal experience and some of the success you've achieved as a military officer. So this year marks, I believe, the 18th anniversary of your Army War College graduation, if I did my math right. As a distinguished alumnus, you've held multiple positions as a strategic leader in the air and missile defense and now space communities. So for the many former, current, or future War College students listening and seeking career advice, 
what areas of your academic or overall Carlisle experience influenced you the most on your journey towards this current success? Man, I can't believe it's 18 years. <laughs> 18 years ago. Wow. So uh, back when I was uh, there as a war college student, uh, our the commandant was uh, General Dave Hontoon, who I've seen several times since then. And, uh, and I can remember very clearly sitting in the auditorium for our, our in-brief when we came into the class. And, and he was very direct, uh, very succinct, and his message was very clear. He said, make sure that you don't put off your strategic research paper, that you make sure that you do it early and often and not late at the last minute at the end of the year. And the second thing that he made even more clear to us was that we were going to win the Jim Thorpe Trophy. And little did I know as I sat there that the year prior to us, uh, they had lost the Jim Thorpe Trophy for the first time maybe ever, if not for a long time. And so we proceeded to uh, to do our intramural sports, and I believe it was two-a-days for the entire year until Jim Thorpe. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but we, we had quite a rigorous intramural program as we built towards the Jim Thorpe competition. And uh, thankfully, we did prevail in the Jim Thorpe Trophy. Uh, winning the tr Jim Thorpe Trophy, but but uh, all, in all seriousness, I would tell you that it was a great year for uh, my family, my wife Angie and I, and our uh, four kids that we had with us. Uh, I would encourage you know folks that come to the Army War College to enjoy the year. Uh, while it's a very critical year for you, but it's also in terms of professional development and education, it's also a great year for you personally and uh, getting the opportunity to recharge your batteries a bit and be with your family. Uh, but the, the couple of things that I would highlight or emphasize with you is that uh, the Army War College is a great way to build lifelong relationships that you will have. And I can tell many stories about how after I graduated from the Army War College that, uh, that I would come in contact again with uh, great students and friends uh, from time to time in very different parts of the world, uh, doing very different missions. And so it's one of those things where the military is built upon relationships, and this is the opportunity for you to make those relationships, and I encourage you to do so. Uh, the second piece is that uh, it is a great opportunity to enhance uh, and mature uh, you know, really what your commitment is to being a lifelong learner. And uh, and I encourage you to do that. Uh, there's all kinds of opportunities, and I think you still have the ability to select some elective courses to take. I'd encourage you to do that very carefully. Uh, be very selective of that and what you want to do in, in terms of building your educational foundation, if you will, for what you think you will do or what you might want to do after the war college and subsequent assignments. And uh, of course, I'd be, I would be remiss if I didn't say you should look very carefully at what you might do with space because space is part of the fabric of the Department of Defense today. I can tell you that over the last uh, three years, four years that I've been in U.S. Space Command, that the understanding, recognition, and advocacy for space has, has grown uh, in a in a wonderful way, and uh, it will continue to do so. Space used to be something you people would think of as an afterthought. Uh, today, it is actually 
uh, we're moving in the direction where it is uh, incorporated at the very beginning of our planning processes, along with cyber. And that's how it has to be, because as we just spoke about for many minutes, a few minutes here, that uh, we've got competitors who understand how important space is to us. And they understand that if they can have an effect there, that uh, they can they can degrade our ability to accomplish our missions. So I think from that perspective, those are the things that come to light when I think of the Army War College. Uh, great experience. I've had many great experiences, but uh, the Army War College uh, was very unique and special. So, sir, that's uh, some really good advice about the Jim Thorpe Sports Day. I think this episode will come out after next week's Jim Thorpe Sports Day, but I think next year's class will will heed that advice. Uh, but being mindful of the time, uh, one last question for you before we go. Are there any final insights you want to share with the audience that may help shed light on your mission or the significance of space activity today? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, it's been uh, uh, very enjoyable for me to get the opportunity to talk to uh, the great war co- Army War College class, whether it's this year, next year, or future years, uh, always holds a dear place in my heart. Uh, I would simply say that, you know, space is a very dynamic uh, environment, enterprise, commercial industry, whatever you want to say, there's a tremendous amount of positive energy in all things space. So as, as we go forward here, watching, you know, some of the wonderful planned events and actually the execution of Artemis One, uh, highly successful. You know, space is the future. It's not necessarily the future. It's here today. I think we all recognize that. And so with every domain that expands, whether you look back at the maritime domain or the air domain or even the land domain, anytime that we have, you know, great strides and achievement and adventure and exploration, also comes the requirement to make sure that we can preserve the security of that particular environment. And that is the same for space. And so as you all go forward and you graduate and you move on into your uh, professional careers, whatever branch you are, and quite frankly, whatever country you come from, uh, space will be integral to your economy. Space will be integral to what you do uh, in a commercial industry and space will be very important and integral to what you do in military operations. And so we all want, I just want everybody to be mindful of the fact that we have competitors around the world right now that understand how much we rely on space and uh, how important it is to not only our way of life, but our way of operations. And so please keep that in mind as you go forward, continue to be a lifelong learner, And please make space part of that lifelong learning campaign. Thank you. Well, thank you, sir. Very good advice. And it's great talking to you once again. Thanks to General James Dickinson for joining us today on A Better Peace. And thanks to you all for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and send us suggestions for future programs. And rate and review this podcast on your podcatcher of choice, which helps others to find us. We're always interested in hearing from you. Until next time, from the War Room... I'm Ben Ogden. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. 
and have a great day.